0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. prohibited by loss. See terms and conditions. 18
1: plus. Those two still engaged. Meanwhile, Kopitar glides in. Sauces this one to Kempe. A wrist scores!
0: This is an All the Kingsman
1: post-game podcast. Comeback part is in our DNA. It's been there for the whole year. Uh, it shouldn't go anywhere. It should always be there uh, that part tipped my hat to the guys But everything else that went into the game. I'm really disappointed The uh, the details that we had uh, And the adjustments we tried to make in the first period were non-existent. It was like the guys weren't e- weren't even in the meeting and uh, That's real important. You go to the first goal. We take a penalty a mile away from our net pull a stick out of some guy's hand That doesn't even have the puck uh, the mistakes we made after that um Disappointed. We don't. Uh, we haven't shown that in a long time. Even the game against Nashville, we were lethargic and didn't play real well, but we tried to play with detail. and uh, Not in the first, uh, certainly not so much in the second, and the third, the, the comeback DNA was there.
0: Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen.
1: We are nowhere near the ice in the <laughs> Valeri Bure podcast studio at LA Kings headquarters. I am Jesse Cohen. Joining me now, Jack Jablonski. How are you doing today, Jack?
0: I'm good. Second day officially on the That's job. right. Uh, welcome to a the team. Full time worker of the uh, Los
1: Angeles Kings. How was your how was your holiday? It's been good. It, yeah, it was
0: it was nice. Uh was home in Minnesota, was able to spend a lot are of time. Are you from with Minnesota? Him. I am from Minnesota.
1: No, I didn't know that.
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh able to spend some time with the family, kind of reset after graduating in December, and here we are.
1: Let me be the first to congratulate you on the podcast anyway, for graduating from USC.
0: I appreciate it. Thank you.
1: And like I said, welcome to the team. So your first podcast back, and the we Kings lose 4-3. But we witnessed a doozy. It was a, a doozy is a very polite way of describing what Six we Six
0: minutes win. worth of a doozy.
1: Yeah. Now, when it was 4-1, to <laughs> what did I predict the final score would be? 5-3. I was pretty close. You were very close. I and mean, at that time, sure <laughs> did not look like it. So, all we needed was an empty net goal uh, from Florida. Now, to... Take some of the shine off of that misprediction. I assumed that the Kings would make it four to two, then pull the goalie, then Florida would score an empty netter to make it five to two, and then the Kings would score a totally meaningless goal to make it five to three.
0: Make it look pretty, though.
1: Yeah, this is slightly less upsetting than that. Um, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll give. I was going to save this for the podcast, but I told it to you when it was four to one. But I'll I'll use it now anyway. In games like that, <clears throat> there's a moment, a tipping point, point. and it's surprising to me how many points in my life where this tipping point a- a comes into play. And, and I and I equate it to an episode of Deal or No Deal, where when the episode of Deal or No Deal starts, or when each round starts, the contestant comes in, and I think to myself, mm-hmm. "Well, they look like a they look like a lovely, wonderful person. I hope they win a lot of money." Uh, and then the Personal, the, the dealer will call down and say, like, all right, the offer is, you know, $52,000, dealer no deal. And you're like, oh, my God, $52,000. Take it, you bum. And they're like, no, we're going to go for it. And I go, all right, now I'm rooting against you. Now I hope you go home penniless <laughs> and ashamed and a blight upon it's your family. $48. <laughs> yeah. And that to me, at four to nothing, that was the tipping point for me. I mm-hmm. don't want the four to three comeback. Because to me, it's just aggravating. It's just like, all right, well, you okay? Where was that for fifty five minutes?
0: Yeah, it's it's obviously aggravating because exactly like you said, where is that been? But at the same time,
1: it also just
0: shows, you know, when this team can focus. And by all means, in those first fifty five minutes, we were just on our heels, and then all of a sudden, you flip it and you turn into desperation. And Kopitar talks a little bit about that in the post game with Carlin it just comes to a point where when you know you need to go all out and you need to take the chances and you need to just focus on offense and, and hope that, you know, you're sound enough to not make the mistakes that are going to cost you, they have the ability to, you know, control the game against a team that's playing very well. Uh, and time and time again, although, it you know, we haven't been successful lately, there are those little spurts. And you know, every coach talks about how, 60 minutes. you got to play a 60 minute game. And the Kings unfortunately played a 6 minute game. (laughs) Um, But if you can always put it together, you have the pieces and they're slowly showing up uh, bit by bit. Unfortunately they're just not showing up at the same time.
1: I know I am one to frequently cite the numbers, but to me this game is a perfect example of why numbers don't actually tell you everything. Mm -hmm. If you just looked at the raw numbers, you'd see a 43 game where the teams split the possession numbers, right? It was 50-50 Corsi throughout the course of the game. It was yeah. 50-50 Fenwick. It was 51.22 to 48.78 in favor of the Panthers for shots on goal. Scoring chances 14 to 13. High difficulty, you know, five to three expected goals. Um 59.7 in favor of the Panthers, 40.3 in favor of the Kings and so you go like oh okay close game but the reality is and this is I mean I looked at you at one point in the second or first and I said <laughs> I said I wonder what the record is for puck possession yeah. time without a shot on goal because there were at least four different periods of the game where the Panthers <laughs> were just in the Kings zone just playing keep away shift after shift after shift they never really challenged to score they never really tried to score they just dominated
0: possession. yeah and the Panthers you know unfortunately living where we do and you know they're not always on television to say the least but you know i don't really know what their game plan is on a daily basis but at least for the kings tonight the the panthers were able to control the puck and you know they scored early and that changes the game a lot of times when it comes to strategy or just the way that you have to play whether you're down or up and they were able to just control the puck and they're content with you know, cycling it and D, you know, D to D, then shoot it back down on the corner or, you know, try to get it on net and, you know, cycle, etc. where the Kings played a lot of, you know, catching up. And it's actually surprising with the amount of puck possession that they didn't have in those first you know two periods, two and a half periods that they were able to find the energy and the opportunities in the end. Because a lot of times when you're chasing the puck and you don't know where it's going, you spend a lot more energy than and you've got it and you're kind of just in a routine especially in the offensive zone.
1: You and I were watching the game at Kings headquarters in the, you know on the t- one of the TVs in the yep. middle of what they call the pit where yep. you know everybody's selling tickets and <laughs> you know doing their job behind us and uh, at one point it was 3 to nothing and uh, a Kings executive you know joined us and said, "You know, oh, what kind of podcast is going to be tonight? Yep. Are they good or are they bad?" And I said, "Well, it's going to be their bad." And uh, at that point, it was three to nothing. Perkorkin had made the uh, amazing save. What a save! He slid slides in to stop the puck from going to the Because then we're just sort of chit chatting, and, and <laughs> yeah. And he says, "You know, it should be four to nothing." Then he leaves the room, and then sure enough, <laughs> Walk, yeah, <laughs> four zero walks it's, back in two yeah. minutes later, right? and it's four to yeah, nothing. Yeah, and I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> it was just it was just that kind of game, and I mean the fact yeah. that the Kings came back at the end is to me sort of you weren't here, but they. Um, I think it was the game against Vegas where they scored four, four goals in the, the first period. Yeah. And then Vegas control, absolutely controlled the game yeah. for the rest of the way. And I called it the most fraudulent win I had ever seen. <laughs> um, Get up
0: early, maybe a few flukes here and there. And yeah, then just, and then just hold just, on just for seal two <laughs> years your
1: This to me was like one of the most fraudulent comebacks I've ever seen. Where to, to that exact yeah, point, completely it should outplayed. have been five to nothing. Yep, yeah,
0: completely outplayed, yeah. out strategized, um, outworked. And frankly, just a better team, you know, beat us tonight, but at the same time, and then it's like, oh, okay, well, you know, it's 4-0, so why not, right?
1: <laughs> I guess. I mean,
0: I... I don't know. I think when you have nothing to play for in terms of the win or the loss on that particular night, I think you can kind of just say, screw it, let's just go all out and see what happens. And I think that's a little bit of what they got tonight, but at the same time, when it happens time and time again, you know, there's things that you need to address, and and you know, we're not saying... Or hiding the fact that we need to, you know, make a few changes to become, you know, Stanley Cup contenders or playoff contenders right now. But at the same time, I think, you know, it continually, although it came at a six minute pace or a six minute segment today, it shows that, you know, we have a lot of pieces here or the potential pieces that can be a part of a playoff team and a contending team in the future, whether it be next year, two years or three years down the road.
1: I'm so, glad you mentioned changes because that's kind of what I want to focus on with the rest of the time we have left is this is not this is going to be a this is going to be a less than a sunny episode of all the king's men because Well, I feel like it's been okay so far. No, no, it has been, <laughs> but now we're now, now we're, we
0: now we talk about the changes yeah, and that's this where it goes this a little This is the part of Empire Strikes yeah, the, Back where we, go, clouds where we go into the tree in the sun, and yeah. we
1: face off against Darth Vader and it is in fact ourselves. So <laughs> here's my concern and I said this jokingly during the game. Uh, I said, look, aside from the fact that they can't score, yep. they're great. Problem is, despite all of my protestations that people who do nothing but score are not as important as we make them out to be, you do actually have to score. <laughs> yeah. Um, and being real good at every other facet of the game, but being absolutely terrible in the scoring environment is not a recipe for success. So my concern is, and I have stated this previously, if you move some of the guys that we all expect that they're going to move, yep, and even if you include some of the guys that that we don't, right? Like people understand that Martinez, Toffoli, Clifford, Lewis, guys like this might move just because of age mm-hmm. and contract and et cetera, et cetera. But even if you make the decision that, like, okay, well, Wagner's not working out; he's not scoring enough, so we're going to break that lineup. Yep. We're going to move this guy down. And we're going to give somebody else a shot. Whatever it is. At some point, this team, for the better part of 20 games or somewhere in that neighborhood, has crafted this identity. And I'm not saying it's a permanent identity. I'm not even saying it's one that you should be happy with. But so we're
0: talking the last 20 games?
1: Give or two, Well, since, okay. since Kovalchuk left. I mean, it's oversimplifying okay, okay, okay. to say that. But yep, I got you. You know, once they put Walker and Dowdy together, once Lazat mm-hmm. Wagner and and Kempe started playing together, like they made a couple tweaks. Martinez and, back. Yes, yeah. things like that. So, and the identity is, like, top of the league in fancy stats, which frankly, fancy stats are not that fancy. It's really just out your opponent. So they possess <laughs> the puck, they shoot their opponent. Yeah, they don't score, but they don't give up a lot of goals. So, despite the notion that they've moved into this "quote unquote" new identity of, you know, more offense, <laughs> I think less defense. They're still just a defensive team that can't score.
0: Yeah, I, you're right when you put it that way. And I think they've moved into a, you know, the NHL itself has obviously changed the way that they play the game. It's obviously much more skill based. We're moving to or towards, you know, safety and you know, offense opposed to it out defense but we still have the the block shots and and the defensive mind when it turns to you know sell out for whatever it may be but at the same time I think the Kings have you know developed an identity as you said that is wide open on the offensive end without the the guys that can put it in the back of the net and I know that it's a little bit of repeating what you said but and I this is stating the obvious but every extremely good team in the NHL right now has people that are pure finishers and the Kings have zero. So I think that's where you have to look for, you know, the opportunity of why we brought Kovalchuk in, you know, things didn't work out for whatever may reason it, you know, it could be, there's obviously quite a few theories and a lot of unknown at the same time, but you know, Kovalchuk was brought in to be that pure finisher and, Coming into a year where you just made the playoffs and you bring him in, you know, I think we thought that that was the step up. Unfortunately, it wasn't, and because of that, you know, that money was put towards him, and there's no one else that we, you know, have been able to fill that slot with that has been able right. to, you know, bring in the addition of the goal scoring when you have you know playmakers like you know Brown and Kobotar and Carter, and you know the list can go on. But you know you can make plays, but you don't have a guy sitting back back door. Or the guy that but in the 32 games since he's
1: been gone, okay, they are 13, 15, and four. Okay, which is not great, but it's a better record than when he was. And and I'm not, i I'm, I'm not trying to link any of this to his presence or absence. I'm just that's just the arbitrary point yep, in time. Yep, just that a date. So in that time, they are ninth. Well, actually, it'll be different because these stats haven't updated from tonight's game. But going into tonight's game, they were ninth in goals against with 82 total goals in that 31-game stretch, and they were 8 in goals against. They were tops in shots against and near the top of the league in shots for, ninth in shots for, 32.6. Bottom of the league is in best in shots against at the 28.5. Their power play is at 19%, which is perfectly acceptable. Their penalty kill is way improved from what it was earlier in the year. They're up to... heading into tonight's game. So if you add up their, your power play and your penalty kill should add up to about 100. They're at about 98 right now. So, I mean, this is a team that, like I said, other than the fact that they can't score, they appear to be really good. My concern is if you trade Tyler (laughs) Toffoli, if you trade Alec Martinez, if Mm -hmm. you shift out Austin Wagner, if you... It
0: it, it becomes the question of how much do you want to rebuild.
1: Well, it just becomes, a for me, it becomes a question of what is the team now. Because well, a lot of those yeah. players yeah. are part of the reason the defensive numbers are yeah. so good. So if you change if you change from a team that can't score but has great overlying numbers to a team that can't score, and now I have no idea what the numbers are going to be because all of a sudden you don't have Alec Martinez in the lineup. You have Kale Clegg, and you don't have Tyler Toffoli. You have Carl Grundstrom, and you don't have Jeff Carter. You've got Jared Anderson Dolan or whoever whoever the players are. My fear is like, well, okay, now – what does this team become? And I understand that that's the purpose of a reconstruction and, and we'll have to find that out. But I'm, I get the sense that maybe there isn't an answer and that as a fan concerns me.
0: I don't know if there isn't an answer. I just don't, it, it comes down to the confidence level that Rob Blake and his team have in the prospects that the Kings have seen in world juniors that they have in the AHL, all those type of players on the,
1: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: Okay, moving forward, whether it be after the trade deadline or going into camp next year, who they have slotted in terms of expecting to, you know, take away or take, you know, X, Y, or Z's place that they trade away at the deadline. And, you know, if it's, you know, you get rid of Tyler Toffoli and you bring up, you know, Burke or whatever you say, you know whoever it may be, to take his place for, you know, the rest of the season. It becomes a matter of, okay, is this a permanent fix or is this something we're going to have to address in the offseason again? Now, you know, salary cap is an interesting one for the Kings because of all the moving pieces, but at the same time, you know, just because you get rid of them now doesn't mean you can't pick up other pieces that can slot those areas in the off season, even if you are in a reconstructing and a youth you know movement within the organization.
1: So the other three things I'm going to throw out, okay, that I feel like are becoming topics of conversation and it's three specific players and I have seen Kings fans bring two of them up as uh evidence that the organization has made missteps and then there's one that I very rarely see brought up but I'm going to bring up in to shove in the face of the people who bring up the other two. Okay. The first we have to talk about is Ilya Kovalchuk. Now, I was not expecting nor interested in talking about Ilya Kovalchuk. Um, I'm going to reveal a bias I have towards Ilya Kovalchuk, and that is simply this: I don't know why a Kings fan, and I don't say this to be some sort of like weird cult type, you know, you have to pass this purity test or you're not a real Kings fan or anything. But I just mean, for me personally, I don't know why a Kings fan would root for the success of Ilya Kovalchuk on another franchise. Because from my perspective, the success of Ilya Kovalchuk on another franchise is a top-to-bottom condemnation of the Kings franchise. Because I get the whole, oh, he wasn't a good fit thing. I don't buy it. I don't think you can have a guy... like Point to me to another player who looked as bad as Kovalchuk did to me on the Kings who then went to another team and turned into a completely different player. And I confess, I have not been watching the Canadiens games, so I don't (laughs) know if it's just numbers or if he actually is playing well. Mm -hmm. But all of the rhetoric I see coming out of Montreal is that he's playing well. Now, we know that his teammates in L.A. liked him. I saw him on the ice practicing and in the press box interacting with teammates. So, I mean, I know he wasn't a malignant presence within the organization when he wasn't playing anymore, Mm -hmm. but... I just don't buy the whole, oh, it wasn't a good fit. I saw him getting frozen out on power plays. I saw guys not passing to him. I saw him, you know, moving as if his controller had been disconnected on defense. You know, I saw him (laughs) make turnovers. Like, he was not good as a member of the LA Kings, regardless of how many points he put up.
0: Uh, I guess to push back on that, I think there are things called not good fits, or there is such a case where
1: there's not a great fit. Crazy bad fit. Well, yeah, I
0: understand that. But at the same time, I think you have players in the NHL who, and I guess to break it down, there are players like Sidney Crosby, Alexander Ovechkin, Connor McDavid, et cetera, et cetera. The list can go on in this category of players who are going to fit no matter where they go mm-hmm. because of how good they are and the skills that they provide and who they can help. I think then you get role players who are, you know, Kyle Clifford, who's a great third, fourth liner. He's always going to bring you exactly what you expect out of him. He's going to be energy, he's going to be opportunity, whether it's pretty or not. It's always going to work. Then I think you have guys like Ilya Kovalchuk who are very good in certain areas of the game, you know, a little bit like the Alexander Ovechkin of 2000, let's just say 7 where or I don't even know. See, <laughs> we'll back that one up. Uh 2012. All right. And uh, where he can score goals, he's extremely great offensively, but he needs a little bit of help in terms of You know, providing him the puck in the right areas, and you know, you know, helping make up for what he may not have had in 2012, which was defense. So I think Ilya Kovalchuk, in that that sense, is the guy who needed a little bit of help. Who you know, maybe at this age or in this system with McClellan and you know who he was on a line with, the talents that he was provided wasn't able to find the right fit in terms of line mates who could get him the puck where. He was best, you know, utilized when he was in New Jersey or the KHL or wherever it may be, um, whether that's Ovechkin's office or wherever he's comfortable shooting the puck. I think he just didn't find himself in an area where the chemistry was right or the system didn't fit, you know, whatever he could provide at a best case scenario without being a liability all the time.
1: So that's fine, mm-hmm. assuming it's true. Yeah, well, <laughs> now, I guess now, you're right on my, that aspect, but my, my my curiosity and my con- guess, my concern. Well,
0: in my opinion, I think that's what the situation is. So I'm going to say that's true sure. because I believe that's how things went south, and we don't know if there are things off the ice or whatever it may be, but on the ice, he needed help in certain areas, and I don't necessarily think that the line mates or the team or the the game plan. Could benefit the way that he could best be utilized in terms of production. Now, I'm not saying that's not the best thing for the team to go a different route because obviously they've done a little bit better in terms of like you know points per game and et cetera, et cetera. But I think that the Kovalchuk situation just didn't work out, whether maybe strategy or game plan or
1: talent. I mean, it's a small sample size. It's seven it's a games. Very, yeah. They're three and four in those seven games, and he's got seven points. So, I mean, it's not mm-hmm. too different from the beginning of last season where he had whatever it was, 14 points in 14 games yeah. or whatever, and then Stevens gets fired and Deschardins gets brought in. But the reason I'm concerned is that if, if you are right, then what you're saying is that three separate coaches and 20 some separate players all struggled to do what Montreal appears to be doing. In no time flat. And I grant you that Montreal has a bunch of guys out of the lineup, and so they're playing him 20 minutes a night and yada, 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 blah, 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 blah. But
0: 20 something players is the same 20 players, though, relatively speaking. Well, there's, but, I'm, but a I'm saying like. From last year to yes, this year, when, Kova- I'm when, he, when Kovalchuk has been in the lineup. Yes. But it's this, it's the same guys that he was pretty much with. And at the same time, on top of that, and I know I've mentioned this before in previous podcasts way back, but. There are certain types of players who need to play certain roles or a certain amount of minutes to be productive. Kovalchuk wasn't a guy who could play seven minutes a game or eight minutes a game and be productive and you expect to just go out and score.
1: But this is my point. If that's true, and if you, Jack Jablonski, recent college graduate and non-NHL player or coach, know that, then what you're telling me is that three NHL coaches, an NHL GM who's a Hall of Famer, And as I said, 20 something different players because he played on a line with Kopitar and Brown. He played on a line with Carter and Kempe. He played on a line with Lewis and Clem. You know what I mean? Like he played up and down the lineup. Yeah. And he wound up getting benched and he wound up getting scratched and he wound up getting sent home for a road trip. And Mm -hmm. then at the end of the, and then when all was said and done, he was, he wound up being told, Thanks, but no thanks.
0: Mm-hmm. And so take, here, take your six point yeah, two exactly. Leave.
1: And so my, so I, the the bias I'm revealing here is just as an emotional Kings fan, the only option that I saw available to me was to say, okay, either he is playing the way my eyes see him play, which is creating turnovers, not getting back on defense, being mm-hmm. sort of a disruptive solo force in the offense. And so yeah, you, it's not working out, and the team is terrible. So thanks, but no thanks. Or, as I said, this is a top to bottom franchise failure to capitalize on an asset that they invested a lot of money in like
0: well, I think it's both
1: well that's rough that's, well, that's no it, that's it, it, it is not both. great
0: well, I mean yeah it's a, in my opinion, it's exactly what I explained on top of the king's not utilizing him properly, and I don't know you know where that you know finger points right but i i I do think that you find an area where Ilya Kovalchuk who is an established goal scorer, you know, borderline hall of famer if you look at numbers had an opportunity to, you know, add to a team that made the playoffs and instead went completely, you know, backwards.
1: Mhm.
0: I guess it, it comes down to, you know, which aspect of, you know, what I just previously mentioned was the one to blame but i think at the same time unfortunately a we're not going to know and b it's past, and you've kind of just got to deal with the consequences i'm not sure what to learn though from it because i feel like you just need to keep supplying teams or at
1: least you know players with the
0: opportunity to become goal scorers and and that's what the kings did it just for some reason didn't go their way
1: Now, not to dwell on the Kovalchuk thing, but the reason I brought it up is to be in concert with the other two things I'm going to bring up. Now, one of them is one that I would roll my eyes at, and I never thought too much of when I would see people talk about it, but it's Dominic Kubelik. Now, for those who may not recognize the name, it was a prospect that the Kings drafted in the seventh round in the 2013 NHL entry draft and traded this summer uh, to Chicago for a fifth-round draft pick. He currently has 18 goals and 28 points in 46 games for the Chicago Blackhawks. Now. I don't know that he would have scored those 18 goals for the Kings. I'm I sure he probably he wouldn't would. have, <laughs> but nonetheless, 18 goals is 18 goals. And then the third player I want to bring up is Tanner Pearson, who has 12 goals and 34 points in 47 games of the Vancouver Canucks. Now I understand why Tanner Pearson was traded last season. I understand that he was 17 games, no goals and one assist. And so that was a move that, that they felt they had to make. But the point I'm making is 12 goals from Pearson, 34 points from Pearson, 18 points for 18 goals, 28 points from Kubelik, and now seven points in seven games from Ilya Kovalchuk. At some point, this is a team that cannot score but plays really well overall <laughs> possession numbers. But that's three players who would insert more than 30 goals into the lineup. Like what's here's, what's going on because so it's, here's cause it's what, been four five six coaches now that this. I, here's
0: going. what I think it is. I think so. Uh, for the sake of this argument, we're looking at offense. and We're looking at forwards. Mm-hmm. I think what you're, at least what's kind of coming together in my mind here is the players on the Kings right now that are playing the heavy minutes, the mm-hmm. ones that are you know supposed to be providing the offense or the ones that are at least taking up the opportunities are not necessarily goal scoring players and it's not to say that you know players on our top 6 are underperforming because in one way they are obviously because your team is losing you're not you know in the playoffs you're not you know point per game players you're probably minuses but at the same time it's those players that are not providing goals that may be holding back the ability for the younger players to step up into roles, but at the same time also, you know, show the offense that maybe these six haven't. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's a tough situation, but I think it comes down to players playing the most minutes aren't goal scorers. They're playmakers or they're sound defensive players that can play the game, you know, well-rounded. But at the end of the game, you know, there's only one stat that matters. It's not your plus minus; it's your team's plus minus.
1: Yeah, and look at the end of the day, we understand that this is a a an evaluation year as part of a larger reconstruction. Very much so. So I'm not. This is why I'm not pulling my hair out, and you know, don't have much. Well, no, I don't. This is why I'm not pulling my beard out. <laughs> um, and you know, look, it is what it is. But it again, my my major concern in all of this is. For a team that struggles to score but plays well overall, what happens as you said, you know the guys that get those minutes right drew Dowdy plays twenty six minutes a night. Alec Martinez plays twenty one minutes a night. Dustin Brown plays eighteen minutes. I follow plays eighteen minutes. You know what happens when you start replacing those guys with younger players and I mean we'll find out, and that is the purpose of a season yep. like this. It just because maybe well
0: i I think we've come to the point where maybe these Maybe some of your first-liners are really second-liners in the NHL nowadays. I mean, maybe. Well, (laughs) you know what I mean, though. But it's, you know, these names have been around, and we've, you know, you have a veteran-savvy team that has won multiple cups together. Uh, You know, sprinkle in your youth and, you know, your Aiaphalos and your Lazats and your Wagners and so on and so forth. But the core of this team was successful, what, five years ago? So maybe those players who have come to be the lovable players aren't always the best choices nowadays. And you know, it's a it's a business, but it's a hard time to evaluate some of your better players when
1: they're holding back, you know, potentially opportunity for the future. Here's uh here's what I'm going to leave this conversation on. Okay. We're going to wrap it up for now. Yes, sir. Uh Six names with six numbers. The only four players currently care. And again, it's plus minus. I know it's a goofy stat blah blah. blah. The only players still valuable. The only players carrying positive numbers at this moment in the King season: Carl Grundstrom plus two, Blake Lazat, plus two, Matt Roy plus two, Sean Walker plus one. There's a bunch of uh, four guys carrying evens, including Ondrej Kopitar, So good for him. And then. The bottom two minus players, Drew Dowdy 11, Jeff Carter minus 16. So
0: I think that yeah. sums up what we've been saying.
1: We're going to leave it there. Jack, thank you for joining me. Welcome back.
0: Thank you. I appreciate
1: it. And welcome home, I guess. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> this yes, is now you're home. You can't say you're from Minnesota anymore. Now you're from L.A. Minnesota born. Yeah, there you go. College. L.A. native. Yeah. <laughs> or not native, well, but uh,
0: LA, um, you're, a, you're an Angelino. Yep, Angelino and uh, Implant. There you go. (laughs) Anyway,
1: thanks for listening, Kings fans. We're going to have a bunch of uh, all-star content for you in the coming days, so uh, stay tuned. We'll talk to you soon. With Lucky Land you can get lucky just about anywhere.